Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Leadership Revealed. You've joined me today guys for a very, very special episode this week. Today I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Mr. Derek Gaunt. Derek is a lecturer, author of Ego, Authority and Failure, which I have here. It's a fantastic book and a trainer of around 30 years of law enforcement experience, 20 of which is a team member, leader and then commander of hostage negotiation teams in Washington DC. Derek has trained people around the world, instructing businesses on how to apply hostage negotiation tactics and principles to their own industry. So we're going to learn a lot today from Derek. Something I know that's going to be great, great interest to everybody listening and watching on YouTube. So without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome Derek. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, John. Thank you appreciate for having you. me. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. So, Derek, just by way of introduction, could you give everybody a bit of it? I mean, I, did, I didn't I did do it justice, your experience in that short little uh, brief introduction, but could you give me a little bit of an idea and our listeners, your, your background and, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I started my law enforcement career in 1988. And at the time, um, if you remember back that far, our country was suffering under the scourge of cocaine, specifically crack cocaine and the inherent street violence that went along with that. So we in the US were taking a very aggressive stance on what was termed them as the war on drugs. So I spent probably the first year and a half in a patrol car, you know, going from call to call to call. And then I uh, competed for and was selected to a street level narcotics unit. And it was in that narcotics unit that I learned that I could say specific things in a specific manner to elicit specific responses from the people that I was dealing with. And the people that I was dealing with more often than not had um, information about other crimes. You see, in, in the US, if it was a drug crime, uh, there was always another crime somewhere down the line associated with it. And these, these people that we were dealing with often had information about those crimes. They had information about a shooting. They had information about where we could recover a gun. They had information about who they were getting their drugs from. So they always were trying to minimize their exposure and give information. And so um, to give information against their own penal interest was huge. And I learned that I could do that. And I got, a, I got excited about it. And I said, I want to take this to the next level. And the next level for me was becoming a detective in the, uh, in the uh, criminal investigation section. And now I'm learning all the tricks of the trade when it comes to getting people who are reluctant to give me information, the information I need to move a case forward, whether they were a suspect, a victim, or a witness. They all have the varying uh, answers or reasons as to why they want to co cooperate with the police. And so now that fire is stoked even more. And I'm asking myself, what else, what's next? And then I heard about hostage negotiations. And this was 
interview and interrogation techniques on steroids, hostage negotiations. And so in 1997, the opportunity presented itself. I competed for one of five slots and I was selected to my team. And that's how it all started. Uh, became a team leader in 2001, team commander in 2004. And that's the position I held up until the time that I left. Now, in that time is when I met Chris Voss, who is the CEO and founder of the Black Swan Group, author of Never Split the Difference. Uh, he had gotten promoted out of New York City to Washington, D.C., and we traveled in the same circles. We were introduced, became fast friends, and the rest, as they say, is history. I've been with Black Swan since 2010. And as you noted, it's allowed me to travel across the globe teaching businesses and individuals how to apply hostage negotiation practices and principles to, to their world, to make their jobs, their lives easier. Great. So, so just if you can, just go back to the FBI. So in the UK, the FBI hostage negotiate, you know, it, it's, the, it's the penultimate. It is sort of the creme de la creme of, of negotiation. So when we go into a negotiation in real estate, we think that's got a lot of pressure on it. But I bet when you're dealing with people's lives, that just takes it to a whole new level. Everything else after that seems a walk in the park. Well, yeah, and, and there's a couple of things in there. First of all, everything else seems like a walk, walk in the park. So you made the greatest endorsement for the application of these skills to your world, because if they work in some of the most difficult conversations on the planet, i.e. when lives are hanging in the balance, they're going to work in your world. Mm -hmm. In your world, lives may not be hanging in the balance, but certainly livelihoods are. Mm -hmm. And the same fears, the same negative emotions and dynamics that come to play in a hostage situation come to play in a regular business this um, And so if it can be applied there, it can be applied over here. The second thing I wanted to, to highlight that you, that you mentioned is don't minimize what's at stake in your world because it doesn't really matter. If you stand a chance to lose something, there are negative emotions and dynamics at play in the conversation that you will have to address if you want that conversation to move forward, there, there is no other way around it. You have to address it as you see them um, because the conversation will not be fruitful unless you deal with the negative emotions and dynamics as the other side sees it. And that's all we did in hostage negotiation. Yeah, I think you said that a negotiation, all it is, I mean, again, I'm probably oversimplifying it. It's just having a difficult conversation. Yeah, that's why most people hate to do it. Yeah. If I asked you, if I told you, John, right now, close your eyes and think about a negotiation, either one that you've had or one that's pending. It's probably not going to be a pleasant thought. Mm -hmm. It's probably not going to be a, 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 a thought about a collaborative or cooperative counterpart. It's probably going to be somebody who's, you know, being hysterical, yelling, screaming, trying to impose their will, making the conversation really tough on you. Mm -hmm. That's And that's why most people... Hey, they look at negotiation as an ordeal as opposed to an adventure. And that little shift in the mindset is huge. When you start to look at this as an adventure as opposed to an ordeal, now it becomes a challenge as opposed to a problem for you. And how would you do that? How would you get that mental shift from looking <clears> at <throat> it as a challenge rather than something you should be afraid of? 
going back to what you talked about before we even got on on the air here, going back to caviar, the C in caviar stands for curiosity. Stay curious in the conversation. Every conversation that you go into with your counterpart, you need to go in assuming that you have something to learn. I don't care if you've known this person for five seconds or five years as it, as it pertains to the conversation that you're about to engage them in, you have to go in assuming that you have something to learn. Staying genuinely curious changes it from ordeal to adventure. In every conversation, there are three to five black swans. And a black swan is simply a piece of information that if uncovered will change the course of the dialogue and will change the outcome. And the great thing about black swans is they don't fly solo. If you find one, there's going to be others. You just have to be willing to look. And that curiosity mindset will help prevent you from getting triggered during the course of the conversation. You see, at the end of the day, that's where that's where, what people are most afraid of is getting triggered and being made uncomfortable. And it's impossible for you to be angry and curious at the same time. You can't do it. Your brain doesn't work that way. You can't be frustrated and curious at the same time. You can't be afraid and curious at the same time. You have to be one or the other. And it takes a conscious decision on your part. And the, and the mantra is, before you go in, assume I have something to learn. Assume I have something to learn. That'll keep it top of mind for you. Mm. Great. And so the rest of the acronym, so the C is the curious. Uh, the A is accept, accept the fact it's a difficult conversation. You're going to get attacked. Yeah. The attack is not going to make sense to you. Mm -hmm. It's going to blindside you. You're going to be plowing along in that conversation thinking everything is going well. And then out of the blue, they're going to launch into an attack on you, an attack on your brand, your company, who you represent, the circumstance. And in all likelihood, at least from your perspective, the attack is not going to make sense. It's not, and it doesn't have to, because it certainly is important to them. And so your challenge is, number one, accept the fact that mindset is going to help you going in. And then once it occurs, stay in the moment. You have to figure out where, where <clears throat> excuse me, that attack is coming from. And it's usually one of three places. It's coming from the fact that they don't think you're listening to them. <clears throat> you have failed, number two, you have failed to demonstrate that you understand the pressure that they're on on their side. Or number three, they're trying to manipulate you because people use anger and aggression during these conversations to manipulate you. And it's easy to do because when we are attacked, we become uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. When we are uncomfortable as human beings, what do we want to do more than anything else as fast as possible? Get comfortable again. Mm -hmm. And that usually resorts in us either acquiescing when we shouldn't, capitulating when we shouldn't, or switching the conversation to something else because that drew an adverse response. The reality is, the reality is you have to stay in the moment to figure it out because just because you ignore it doesn't mean it's going away. Yeah. And it's coming back later in the conversation because you failed to deal with it head on. Yeah. Um, the V is vent. Vent, more often than not, we've got time to prepare for these conversations. Find a trusted confidant. 
find somebody who's not going to judge you and just start talking about the upcoming conversation, what you think about the person, how you got to this point, all of, all of the blemishes, the good, the bad, and the ugly about this upcoming uh, interaction. The more that you get rid of before you get into the room, the less likely it's going to produce, be produced once you are in the room. Um, the I in caviar just stands for identifying your counterpart's negotiator personality type. We have three in the black swan group, assertive, analyst, and accommodator. All three of these have something as important to them as making a deal or coming to a resolution. For the assertive, it's to be heard and respected. They will, they will blow a deal up as long as you know that they're in charge. Mm -hmm. The analyst, what do they like as much as a resolution or a deal? Data and information. The deal or the resolution can go to hell on the handbasket as long as they're made smarter because of it. And the accommodator is more focused on the relationship in the moment. In the moment, they, they will walk you right up to the edge of a minefield mm -hmm. and not tell you because they want to preserve the relationship in the moment. And so you, you need to identify not only which type your counterpart is, but who are you? Who are you? There's a 66% chance in every interaction that the person you're interacting with has a different negotiator personality type than you do, which means you've got to modify what comes out of your mouth and how it comes out of your mouth based on that personality type. And so when there is an impasse, when we are at a loggerhead, when we can't seem to move this conversation forward and you can't figure out why, take a look at whether or not there's a type mis mismatch. Type mismatch, the worst mismatches are assertives and analysts. Both hate the other for a variety of reasons. Um, Assertives love working with accommodators because accommodators will get smacked around the room and won't leave. And that plays right into an assertive's hand. Um, analysts, you know, they, they're wary of accommodators because accommodators will overpromise. So you just have to know who you're dealing with on, on the other side of the table. And the double A in caviar is accusations audit. You and I talked about this prior to coming on, probably the most powerful tool that we have in the Black Swan Method does wonders for moving the negotiation forward and getting our result quicker. Um, and simply the accusations audit is just a, a, pre, a preemptive label, if you will, when you start to label things that haven't been spoken by your counterpart yet. And then the R just to round out caviar, just to remember whomever you're dealing with, mm -hmm. they are not the issue. Whatever your problem you're trying to solve, whatever deal you're trying to make, that's the issue. Your challenge is how do I turn my counterpart into a teammate for this problem solving venture? Mm. And so keeping that caviar mindset, it makes the conversation go smoother. And it, and it, and it doesn't hurt 
as a part of your notes, but when you're going in, just write down the acronym CAVIAR so that you can glance at it during the course of conversation to stay on point. And it's the same with everything, I suppose, especially from a, because this is very much a, like a, a mental thing that, you know, the more you practice, the better you're going to get. And eventually when you get, you know, a year, two years down the line, it's just going to roll off the tongue. It's not going to be a problem. That's right. That's right. This is, this is a foreign language, mm -hmm. right? And for you or your listeners, subscribers, for all of you that know a language other than your native tongue, think about yeah. how you were when you were first introduced to the language, how clumsy you were, how awkward you felt, how there was no way that I was going to give you a week's worth of training in that language and then drop you into a community where that was the only tongue spoken and have you function. You couldn't. Now, fast forward two, three years down the road, now you're fluent. Now you can go to any country in the world where that language is spoken and you can carry your mm -hmm. carry your weight. And that's 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 the um, that's that's one of the um, the characteristics that I like to highlight about the Black Swan method is this is tantamount to learning a foreign language. It's as counterintuitive as anything that you've ever come across. It's going to make you feel weird. It's going to make you feel awkward. The awkwardness comes from your brain telling you that there's no neural pathway yet developed for the skill that you're asking me to use and it hurts. And I don't like to hurt. So instead of learning your new stuff, I'm gonna resort back to what I've learned in the past. Just as a side note, have you, have you read the book, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyne? He talks yes, about- Yes, Coyle, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Coyle. So, so he talks about myelinization, that the more you do something, the neural pathways get stronger and you get quicker. Um, That's right. You know, we, we, the distance between synapses actually shrinks the more yeah. you do something. Yeah, and you just get better at it. So it just stands to reason, just repetitive, purposeful practice, you're going to be very good at it. Um, do you mind just quickly giving us a bit more information on the accusations audit? Because when I've, I've watched, I've listened to podcasts that you've been on, I've watched YouTube videos, and I think this is genius. Yeah, so as I mentioned, the accusations audit is... We, we, we call it a preemptive or a proactive label. It allows us to address the negatives that we speculate the other side is harboring about us, about the circumstance, about the conversation, and about who we represent. Mm -hmm. How do you know if there are negative emotions or dynamics harbored by the other side? The litmus test is if I want or I need or in my head or in the head of my counterpart, then there are going to be negative emotions and dynamics. And so what better way to demonstrate the level of tactical empathy that we talk about than to start speaking these things into existence before the counterpart does? What have you done when you start to label things that the counterpart hasn't spoken yet? You, you look like a mind reader. You look like... Um, you're really dialed in to what the perspective of the counterpart is. There's no greater way to show that than for you to say something that they haven't said yet. You may be right. You may be wrong. It's irrelevant either way. The attempt to show the counterpart that you're trying to come alongside them and see the world from their perspective starts with that accusations audit. If it's nothing more than, I'm probably going to wreck your day. Mm. You're probably going to wonder why you agreed to take this phone call. 
And you may even believe that we're trying to impose our will. Start with something simple like that, because I guarantee you at some point during the conversation, either they have or they will be thinking that. So take care of it. Mm. Because in essence, what you're trying to do with the accusations audit is clear their head. You're trying to make them smarter. Your brain works 31% better when you're in a positive state. You're not in a positive state when your amygdala fires up and starts planting these negative bombs in your brain. It actually obscures and impedes what's supposed to be occurring in the prefrontal cortex. Mm. That's why um, when, when you speak on the phone with, with, with a friend and they're hysterical because of you know, fill in the blank, and you're thinking to yourself, there's, there's an easy fix for this. Why can't they see that all they have to do is do X, Y, and Z, and this would all be over? Mm-hmm. Why can't they see that? Because they're at a heightened emotional state. And their reasoning has been impacted because of that little almond-sized cluster of cells at the base of your brain called the amygdala. It's kept us alive for thousands of years. But the problem with it is a threat, is a threat, is a threat, is a threat mm-hmm. to the amygdala. So it doesn't matter if you're threatening me in a conversation or there's an active shooter in my workplace, the, my amygdala fires up the same way. It can't differentiate. So we do what we can to mitigate those negatives because I want them to be of clear mind, when, especially when I get to my ask or my, I draw my line in the sand. So we use it at the beginning of the conversation. We use it anytime we're going to make an ask of the other person. And anytime we're going to share bad news with them, anytime we're going to share news with them that we know that they don't want to hear set it up with an accusations audit. Um, my wife does it all the time now when she's gonna let clients down. She, her favorite is, this is gonna feel like a punch in the gut. And so what does that do for your counterpart? Now they're bracing themselves. If I, if I walked into your office and I said, John, um, you're, you're gonna wanna stab me in the eye with a pen. And I let it sit just like that. Yeah. Now, what is what? What's gone? What went into your? What went through your brain? Uh oh. I'm thinking. You're, you're thinking the absolute worst, yeah. and you're going to that far end of the fear spectrum, and that's where I want you to go. I want you to conjure up all of these monsters about and, and boogeyman about what I'm about to say next, because in reality, what I'm going to say next is going to pale in comparison to what you. We're imagining and you are going to be more likely to grant my request. For example, I like to check in early hotels when I'm traveling. I don't like to stand around for three hours until they've got my room together. So I walk up to the counter and the first words out of my mouth are, I'm about to make your day that much more difficult. I, now I can see the color drain from their face as soon as I say that. But, and they, just like you just did, they, went to, they go to the far end of the fear spectrum. They have no idea what I'm going to say next. They don't know if I, you know, I've got you know, 20 pounds of cocaine in my luggage or I just murdered someone in the parking lot or you know, what. They, don't, they have no idea. And I follow on with, you're probably going to think that I'm another needy traveler who thinks you're going to bend over backwards for them. Now they're rolling their eyes and now they're just thinking to themselves, get to the point and they're bracing themselves. And then 
how bad of a position would I put you in if I asked to check in early? They're so relieved that that's all I wanted. They can't wait to check me in. And in fact, they'll upgrade my suite. They'll upgrade me to a suite just because they're relieved that that's all that I wanted. And so anytime you're going to make an ask of somebody, throw it out there. Mm. Throw it out there and soften it. Anytime you're going to share bad news with them, I don't care what the bad news is. You want to move the water cooler from one side of the office to the other, set it up with an accusations audit. It makes it go down that much easier. Literally, just listen to you there. I imagined I was working behind a counter at the hotel and you saying that and then immediately just fear struck me. Oh my goodness, what has happened? And then, oh, right. Oh, is that all Derek wants? He just wants to check in. Yeah, sure, sir. It just makes it so much easier to grant your request. Yeah, because it pales in comparison. Because the human brain is is a fearful thing, and and soon as I say, um, I'm about to make your day that much more difficult. What have I done intentionally? I've activated your amygdala, and I've put you in a defensive position where you're just waiting for the other shoe to fall. Yeah, and so when you actually get to your ask, it always is far less than what the other person imagined. And because they're relieved that that's all it is, they get a dopamine hit. You release a chemical in their brain, they feel good and they can't wait to reciprocate because I've just made them feel good subconsciously. And tactical empathy, one of the powerful components or characteristics of tactical empathy is it encourages reciprocity. Because I let them off the hook, gave them that hit of dopamine, subconsciously they can't wait to help me out. So consciously, they feel obligated in returning, quote, the favor. And that's why I get checked in early. That's why you get upgraded to a suite. What a fantastic tip. Um, Can I just sort of pivot a little bit and talk about ego? So we talked a little bit before we uh, we went live with this. And one of the things that, um, especially in the UK at the moment, is that people think ego is bad. And you you agreed and you said ego is not bad if if it's checked. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So ego, ego is a part of uh, what makes you successful, mm. right? You have to have a little bit of an ego in order for you to meet success in the workplace. Where it becomes problematic is when it's wielded like a sword, when it's used at the expense of other people. There are, and I mentioned this in the book, there are times when your ego needs to be front and center. When, when time is of the essence, when you've got exigent, exigent, exigent circumstances, um, it's an emergency. Your ego should be front and center because you're going to have to give out directives in a short, curt manner because you need a return on those directives sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. The problem is most leaders think Every situation is exigent and every situation is an emergency and they don't have time to plan and they conduct themselves uh, in a manner where their ego is just flailing about the office all of the time. And that breeds resentment and it, and it, and it, and it has people withdrawing from the workplace, either figuratively or, or literally. And so unchecked, ego is dangerous. When you recognize it for what it is and its potency to damage relationships, you can keep a short leash on it uh, and only use it when it's absolutely necessary. Call upon it when it's absolutely necessary. 
So what, what are your thoughts you, using a bit of ego when, when, when you market your services or market um, your products? Because I, I know what you and Chris do is brilliant. You, you play on the fact that you've got 20 odd years, law enforcement and FBI hostages negotiated. The fact that you guys have reached that level, that in itself must be a huge marketing tactic and tool for you. So you guys are, are putting it out there that, look, we have reached the best in the world. So that, that is a little bit of ego in, in a good way, in a positive way. That's the right. check ego, isn't it? Right, right. That's that's the check ego. And and people, they want to follow people who they're confident in, mm. that they have the knowledge, the skills and ability. Well, the only way for you to develop or display those knowledge, skills and abilities is to have a little bit of an ego. Mm. The key is not using it to take advantage of a situation or another person. The key to it is not to satisfy your own insecurities. That's where ego really becomes a problem when people are insecure in their current status in life. Mm -hmm. And so because maybe they lack a certain level of institutional knowledge, they make up for that by becoming that because I said so person. Yeah because that helps them to compensate, compensate for the lack of um, workplace experience that other people view them through. And so it's important to have ego to the extent that you display confidence that breeds confidence in having people follow you wherever you're leading. And that's what Chris and I and Brandon and the rest of the instructors at Black Swan have done. Cool, excellent. Um if we can take a second just to talk about millennials, I've, I've seen a couple of, of podcasts and, and watched some videos when you talk about them and you said, and I think it's absolutely true that millennials don't leave jobs, they just leave bad bosses. So it's a big thing in the UK at the moment about how we deal with millennials, especially in our industry, because there's a lot of uh, newer people coming into the industry and they are millennials. And a lot yeah. of real estate agency is are owned by 50, 60, 70 year old white men and they can't deal with the millennials. Have you got any tips on how to get better at that? Yeah, they, they can't deal because they don't want to deal with the millennials. Millennials aren't going anywhere. Yeah. And so us complaining about their worldview is silly because it's not gonna change. And so what do you have to do? You have to meet them where they are. This is what tactical empathy is all about. It's not about you liking. It's not about you agreeing with the other side. It's not about you making friends with the other side. It's you demonstrating for them that you understand what their perspective is. Period. That's all we did in hostage negotiation. We never agreed or liked anybody that we deal, dealt with on the other side. And, and they had more idiosyncrasies and, and, and quirks and problems than any millennial out there. Mm -hmm. And so if a guy is threatening to kill himself inside his house, we're able to connect with him and get him, get him out. How is it that you can't connect with millennials? The only reason that you can't connect is because you're not trying to connect. And here's the thing. I, I'm in that age bracket that you talked about. And I will tell you that it's hard mm. because the level of listening that required that is required by tactical empathy takes work. 
And, you know, a 50, 60 year old person who's been setting their wage for that long, it's going to be a difficult change for them. Mm -hmm. But they're going to have to do it because this world doesn't stand still. It continually evolves. And whatever, um, whatever issues you have with millennials, there's another generation coming up behind them that's going to be, for lack of a better term, worse for you. And there's a generation coming up behind them that's going to make the, the millennials and the gen, I don't know who they are, the millennials, but they're, they're just going to make those people look like angels. Yeah. And so you got to meet them where they are. You don't have to agree with them. Just do it because it works. When I say it, I'm talking about tactical empathy. Tactical empathy works. Mm. Listening is the cheapest and most effective concession that you can make to another person. Mm. And millennials have been listened to all their lives. So they expect it to continue. Millennials have had things explained to them all their lives. You can't get away because, with, because I said so with a millennial. They have to understand purpose. What's the reason why? I understand that that's the way they look through it. So I'm going to modify my message to cater to that. And that's the important thing with dealing with anyone, not just millennials, anyone. Mm, yeah, because the previous generation, that's what they were told by their parents. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. So just get on with it. Millennials, mm -hmm. like you say, they need that little bit more explanation. Hence why there's a bit of a disconnect between those and then the previous generation. That's right. Because they've been inundated with information, 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 information. They can go anywhere to get the answer to anything and the reason behind that answer. That's how they were raised. And so now they're in the workforce. Same thing continued with all of this stuff. It just takes effort. Mm, yeah. So last couple of questions, because I just want to be really respectful of your time, Derek. This has been an outstanding lesson. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. One of the big things at the moment, and I suppose it's in industry and business anyway, because of, you know, COVID and, and whatnot, a lot more stuff's been done online, is that when we are going out to real estate, at the minute, it's the it's the cheap fee. So everybody's getting business because they're, they're you know, depressing their own prices. So it's a, it's a war at the bottom, right? So in, in order to overcome a price objection, the caviar method, is that is that the best the best methodology? Or can we use something like, mirroring or labeling or is it a combination of everything it's you know it's i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a hack I'll, I'll give you a hack and this will this will dramatically improve all of the people who um who are agents in the uk and the concept is the proof of life you need to determine early in your interaction with buyer or seller, are you the favorite or are you the fool? Mm -hmm. Are you the favorite? Is there a deal? Is it with you? That makes you the favorite. If you are the favorite, there's no reason for you to cut your commission. If you are the fool, meaning they're just using you for due diligence. They're using you for free consulting so they can give the business to cousin Danny who just got his real estate license. Mm -hmm. If you're the fool, there's no reason for you to cut your price. Either way, there's no reason for you to cut your price. So yeah. how do you, you, you establish early on that proof of life? 
simply asking whomever you're dealing with, there are dozens, if not hundreds of agents for you to choose from. You have plenty of options out there. Why are you considering partnering with me? If they don't have a substantive response to that question, you're probably not going to get the business. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to get the business. Mm -hmm. If they come back with a robust response to that, it's more likely that you will get the business. Uh, if Why would you ever want to do business with us? This gives them an opportunity to speak your value proposition before you ever have to. You don't have to pitch anything at this point because they're going to tell you, here's why partnering with you makes the most sense. And the stronger the response to that, the more likely you're the favorite. If you're the favorite, they've already spoken your value proposition. There is no reason to even talk about cutting your commission. Mm -hmm. The cut the, the 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 request to cut commission is a go-to for everybody. What you're trying to do, what you should be trying to do, is separate yourself from the rest of the agents who are out there because there are thousands of them that walk, talk, look just like you. Yeah. How do you separate yourself from them? You know, there's 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 in real estate training. There are all of these things that are called best practices and sooner or later, best practices become common practices. And now I can't tell the difference between agent A and agent B. Mm. Well, one of the first, one of the best ways to show that I'm different is throw that proof of life question out there, determine whether or not you're the fool or the favorite. And then once you make that determination, understand that either way, you don't need to cut your price. Price as an objection is a, a knee jerk reaction. And the translation is they're telling you, we don't trust that you can do what you say you can do. Yeah. And so instead of looking at the fact that they're asking you to cut your commission, look at where you can improve that trust. Awesome. Thank you. Um, one last question, Derek. It's just a signature question that we always ask. What is leadership to you? Uh, leadership is blade running. That's what leadership is to me. And when I say blade running, leaders are always daily. They're running along the blade of a knife where they're trying to balance the needs of the organization with the needs of the people that, that run the organization. And it's a very delicate dance. But the bottom line is a leader is one who needs to understand the importance of subordinating themselves to their subordinates. A leader is one who understands that they need to defer. They don't need to, they, before they talk about the needs of the organization, they need to spend a good amount of time talking with the employees as to the impact on them that the needs of the organization have. Leadership is understanding it's not all about you and your agenda, but it's about the people that report to you. Superb. Derek, thank you so much. Guys, yeah, John. if you haven't got this book, Ego Authority Failure, please go get it. You can get it on Amazon. Um, what's the best way for everyone to get in touch, social media or, or via the Black Swan? Uh, you can uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, Derek M. Gaunt, at Derek M. Gaunt, uh, Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not on Facebook a lot. I mean, I've got an account, but I'm not there a lot. So Instagram and LinkedIn are the easiest way. 
uh, to get a hold of me. And if you can't reach me, either of those two, info at blackswanltd.com. That's the catch-all. Excellent. Derek, just want to say thank you. It's been an amazing podcast. Some great techniques and hacks. Really appreciate your time. And uh, once again, thanks. Thank you, John. Take care of yourself.